Hello. On this episode, I talk with a pastor about the church being both a people and a place. This is Church in Maine. Hello, and welcome to Church in Maine, the podcast at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host, and Happy New Year. Church in Maine is a podcast that looks for God in the midst of the issues that are affecting the church and the larger society. You can learn more about the podcast, listen to past episodes, and donate by checking us out at churchandmaine.org or churchandmaine.org. Dot substack.com. Consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Substack and leave a review. That helps others find the podcast. So for today, stop me if you've heard this phrase, the church isn't a building, it's a people. Now, I don't know that if this way of thinking is limited to American culture or not, but we tend to believe that the church that church buildings don't matter as much as the people and there's a lot to agree agree with with that viewpoint we can get caught up in the aesthetics of a building and that we lose focus that church is not made up of bricks but of flesh and bone it's the people it's the mission that they engage in that make up what we call church Especially in these days post-COVID, when it has become uh, far more easier to watch the church online, it can seem, though, at times that the physical place, the building, is less important than it used to be. But, so that makes you ask the question, do the aesthetics sometimes matter? No, the church isn't a building, it's people. But can we express our faith in the architecture of church buildings? Now, there was an Episcopal church um, just kind of outside of uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, off of I Interstate 94. I would see this every time I was going on my way back to Michigan to see my parents or heading back to Minnesota. It was this kind of... Uh, you can kind of tell it was probably this kind of seventies building that was this dark brick, maybe trying to, um, I don't know, evoke a style of maybe old England, medieval England. I don't know, but there was something beautiful because it was this odd mix of modern and classical that you could tell there was a lot of thought put into this building. Now, at some point that congregation, um, moved, and they sold the building to a non-denominational church. And that church decided to add on to the building. And um, what they did, that addition just didn't jive with the original part. Now, I think that there was some sense of beauty and, and um, in that original building. 
the new edition was far more utilitarian. I mean, you really could not, you could have mistaken that new part for just an office building, an office building that you would see in any suburb instead of a, of a church. You know, we kind of knock Europeans um, for kind of turning their church buildings into museums. But the cathedrals that I've visited while I was um, during trips to Europe were actually built by people who wanted to express their faith, and they, they expressed it through wood and stone. Which then leads me to think that maybe place does have a place in how we think about church. Now, over the summer, Pastor Lauren Richmond uh, started posting um, to his Facebook uh, profile pictures of churches, and they were churches in his denomination, which is also my denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, um, throughout the Denver area. Um, and he he really did some work. He used a book that had been written decades ago about the history of, of different congregations and um, posted that up and, and maybe even posted if that congregation still existed. Um, and he got a lot of interest. A lot of people were starting to follow him. Um, and in Lauren, it spoke, um, it really sparked an interest in him um, in the importance of church buildings to the body of Christ. So in this episode, I talk with Lauren about basically what he did this past summer, what it meant to him, especially and what it, and what it meant to him and to his faith. Uh, Lauren um, is an ordained minister in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Uh, he's the host of the Future Christian podcast. Um, he has actually been on uh, this podcast a few times. I joke in the interview that um, he should be getting a, a, a gold suit at some point. Um, because he's probably the one that has been on the podcast in most times. Um, but I think that you will enjoy um, this interview because I think it's a fascinating interview about um, the importance of the physical building. Um, it is not the important thing. And obviously, if that is the important thing, that's a problem. But maybe bricks and mortar do matter in some case when it comes to how we worship. Think about that. But as, and as you're thinking, um, let's now listen to this interview with Lauren Richmond Jr. Thanks for uh, coming here. Um, I don't know what time, how many times you've been on the podcast. Um, I know there's one podcast I listen to. They kind of have the the metaphorical golden jacket for people who have been on it several times. Um, you probably will win it, um, at least at <laughs> this point. So, but long way of saying welcome back. 
Thank you. So I wanted to um, talk a little bit about something that you did on Facebook over the summer. And that was kind of looking at churches, well, actually looking at church buildings um, mm-hmm. and doing a little bit more than that, kind of looking at their history and background. And so I kind of wanted to maybe first ask what spurred you to do this and um, what did you, and then also kind of what did you do? I mean, you did a little bit more than just kind of here's this building you really went into looking at the history of these congregations. Yeah. So, um, let me first give, uh, acknowledgement to the source material that I used for much of the book was from a former disciples, pastor, disciples of Christ pastor named Bryant Badger, mm-hmm. who has, uh, just passed away. Couple months ago, actually, um, but in the in the nineties, he published a history of the disciples of Christ for the state of Colorado. As I understand it, he did one for Wyoming as well, and he may have done another state. But uh, what I'm aware of, he did that um, at least Colorado and Wyoming. And uh, I had the book and, and looked at it you know, previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been someone who was really interested in architecture and especially church architecture. Um, so I was just, you know, I was taking a break from doing my own podcast, um, going through just a little transition myself. And I don't know, it just seemed like a fun project because I always, whenever I drive, whenever I'm on a, a road trip, I always look for the churches, especially mainline churches. Um, a couple summers ago, I was helping my brother-in-law move from Texas to Colorado. And anytime I could, I would drive off. If we were passing through a little town, I'd kind of take a detour and look for the disciples church. If there was an <laughs> old disciples church in, in Colorado where there's not as many disciples churches i looked for ucc churches um you know other other interesting looking church architecture um somewhere on the eastern plains town i can't remember the town off the top of my head now there was just an amazingly mid mod you know mid-century modern baptist church Mm -hmm. um so i mean I, i i love church architecture um and uh, so, yeah, it's it's always been something. And I, I have an early memory of just kind of wandering through uh, a church building in, in New York City when, when my dad was a pastor there. There were some old historic buildings, uh, Baptist churches that from pastors my dad was associated with that mm-hmm. I can think back to and have, you know, fond memories of in some ways. So I've certainly always appreciated uh, church buildings for sure. So when you kind of started this, um, what were you kind of starting to learn from all of these, um, congregations? Some of these are congregations that are still in existence. Um, some aren't, um, around anymore. And, and I think 
it's interesting you talked about this book that um was written by a disciples pastor um there was one that was done like that similarly here in minnesota of um disciple churches um in the area that kind of did brief histories so i'm makes me curious if that was something that was done throughout the denomination prior in the 50s or 40s and 50s around that time period um hmm. So what did you kind of learn from from all of this? I mean, one was just I one was just I think was just a sense of sadness. Mhm. As I just reflect on how many churches are closed um no longer exist or are you know, with all due respect like a shelter you know, shelter former selves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the other thing that, another thing that I really pulled away or realized, it was just how many, you know, how many churches were started by groups of lay people Mm. in our current context. It seems like so many churches nowadays are started by a pastor and their spouse you know, most often a male pastor and their spouse. I just saw someone, uh, an ad on Facebook for a SBC church, you know, that's looking to get started in my neck of the woods in the, in, in the North Denver Metro, you know, and it's, uh, they're, they're the part of the send network for those unfamiliar. It's an SBC Southern Baptist effort. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, kind of a parachute model, which mm-hmm. I know you're familiar with Dennis, you know, where the, the, uh, the pastor and their family quote unquote parachutes in or moves from another state and just looking on their, on their Facebook page, you know, they had several staff members it seemed like, or at least core team people getting and using some churchy language lingo here who are moving from other states to help with this new effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but that didn't seem to be the case with many of these early disciples churches in Colorado. Um, a lot of it was initiated by what we'd call lay people who were just like, we need to have a, a disciples of Christ church in this mm-hmm. part of the city. What do you think it says that, we don't see that as much anymore. Um, in fact, I really don't see that at all. It's like you see pastors, if we do plant churches, are are the ones. But it seems like when it comes to um, lay people, that initiative seems to be gone. Yeah, I'm really intrigued. I'm really not sure what to make of that. Um for one, like I'm, I'm reading a book. I guess I should say also, like, I think that model, at least again, this is kind of a, it's a small scale. You know, if we were doing a real big data set, it'd be a real small data set to analyze. But I imagine just again from my kind of church nerdiness from other denominations, reading other church history books, that you'd probably see other dynamics. But uh, but I should say I think this was, I think that model kind of changed 
into the 50s and 60s. Um, I'm kind of going off the top of my head here, uh, but it seems like at least in Colorado, in the 50s and 60s, congregations started being formed by, um, you know, the, the denominations took bigger, at least in the metro area, in the Denver metro, took a bigger initiative um, of appointing pastors. Now, this wasn't, you know, there was, again, um, I think in most instances, there was, it wasn't quote unquote a parachute type model. There was a core group of believers or folks who said, Hey, we just moved to this area. We want to start a church. Um, but I think that's interesting because like I'm, I'm reading this book that I'd recommend from Ted Smith on the end of theological education. Um, Dennis, I'll have to send it to you when, when I'm done with it here. Um, but he really kind of talks about the professionalization of kind of the church, especially mm-hmm. clergy, um, as being like a essentially modern invention uh, in in line with the rise of the voluntary associations post the Revolutionary War. Um, so I'm not sure how to reconcile the the assertion that. Ted Smith makes that church has been really led by professional, professionalized clergy kind of post revolutionary war with this. It seems like a, a decent amount of at least some a- anecdotal data that, um, at least in this area, like there was a lot of churches that were started by a, a groups of lay people saying, Hey, we want to have a church here. Um, so that just that's interesting to me. Hmm. So you kind of said earlier that that one of the things that these buildings remind you of is kind of especially in our denomination, kind of the current state of a lot of the, the churches were no longer in existence or may have are now it's a different church that owns it or um, whatever kind of happened. Um, mm-hmm. Would you kind of say from that whole experience, from from what you learned from this experience, that the buildings in some way talk a little bit about not just kind of our history, but maybe even our present in some way? Say more what you're... Say more about that following. Well... You know, I think um, thinking about my own experience and seeing churches, disciple churches here, um, and in my my own context, we sold our building, um, right, and and moved and are sharing space with a Lutheran congregation. Um, you know, selling the building, which, um, as far as I know, is still standing. It's not um, has not been torn down or anything. Um, mm-hmm. but is is kind of sitting empty says a lot I think maybe about our church culture especially post-COVID um, how churches in some ways I want to say especially in the main line were radically changed uh, due to COVID um, I think not meeting in a, for a, over a year in person really kind of changed the character of churches. Yeah. Um, there are cases where a lot of people just 
really couldn't get back together again. I think that in some ways was a, a nail in the coffin for some churches. I think for us, it did. There mm-hmm. are people that left, but there was also people that came um, when we moved. Um, and so it, it, it did. In some ways, the building is telling a story of how a time mm. changed. And I, I wonder, you know, would the building tell a different story if, let's say, there wasn't COVID? Um, the, I don't know. But it's just something that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think, I think about, I think about buildings, you know, I think about the stories that buildings tell through, I mean, the primary language I think tends to be architecture, you know, so congregations and builders and designers are trying to tell a story. Um, Mm. But I think congregations and churches and buildings can tell stories even through smaller ways, whether it's, you know, decor that's 50 years old, you know, Mm -hmm. um, through attempts or lack thereof to make the building ADA accessible. Um, I mean, again, this is why I think architecture is so interesting because Buildings tell a story, you know, to, 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 to do the complete inverse, Dennis, you know, we could look at a mega church type, you know, an, a, a non-denominational church structure where um, it's, it's literally looks like one I'm thinking of the top of my head looks like a Walmart mm-hmm. um, with a huge lobby and then a bunch of chairs, the room darkens. You know, and it, all eyes are centered up front. Um, you know, that's telling us, that's telling a story. It's communicating a message. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, Dennis, but I think mm-hmm. I'm kind of sad about some of the messages that churches and church or church buildings, to be clear, are communicating right now. Um, mm. whether they be mainline, buildings or evangelical non-denominational buildings. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the things about the, um, the church building that we were in was one of its big minuses was that it wasn't ADA accessible. In fact, um, if once you enter the Mm -hmm. church, there were these incredibly steep stairs. Um, and yeah, if you went downstairs where we had our only, the only bathrooms in our building, um, they were also not ADA accessible. Um, and doing any of that in this building, which was not a very large building was also going to be rather expensive, but it felt like there was something that needed to be done if we wanted to think about doing stuff. But you know, that, that in some ways was telling a story and, um, you know, we had, I think there were some cases where people older, especially more people couldn't come, um, because there was just no way to get into the building. Right. Right. 
So, you know, I, the other thing that I'm reminded of, and I know that you also um, are familiar with this, is there is a, um, in in Andrew Root's book of Church in the Crisis of Decline, he talks about a, a church um, and, and starts with a church that it's no longer in existence and had become, yes. um, uh, I want to say it's like a, a, a brewery. Um, yeah. And his whole point of that book is to create an alternate history of, um, of mm-hmm. that church. Um, and so it's always kind of sad when you see these spaces that are no longer being used as churches. Um, there is one actually yeah. not too far from our old, our old location, um, that has been used as a playhouse and other things. Um, and I'm just kind of curious when you've gone to some of these places, I'm, 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 assu- I'm assuming some of the things that you did on when you visited some of these buildings, they weren't being used as churches anymore. Um, how did right. that feel? And when you saw these churches being used in different ways? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I have strong opinions on this. Um, what's coming to mind initially is is a Baptist church in Denver. Um, the, the Baptist church actually still exists. Mm-hmm. Like, like a, I suppose I'm using good pejoratively, but like a good church. <laughs> they moved away from the city center. What was the declining city center and out into more what was then the suburbs. Um, and recently the church building, um, I shouldn't say recently, probably 10, 15 years, right? Um, was sold to a developer. Mm-hmm. Developer built apartments, but the the core worship space, what was the sanctuary, was retained, and of course uses the brewery. And unfortunately, the brewery just announced that they're going out of business. And you know, uh, a new local news person put it on threads, I think, and I commented like, "Oh, if only it would go back to being a church," which I know will is very unlikely to happen. Um, but yeah, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm super biased and I'll admit my bias that I am pro worship spaces and building church buildings, um, being churches, you know, I think we talked about this Dennis offline during the summer. Um, but when I was kind of doing that, you know, what I called like a little, scavenger hunt on Facebook of churches. And, um, a seminary professor talked to me when we were at the Disciples General Assembly and said, hey, you know, I'm glad you're doing this because it shows people that, like, it's not a horrible thing if churches close and they become other things like, you know, meeting houses and music assembly halls and child cares. And I said, hey, you know, I was, I tried to be as gentle as I could. I said, this is my opinion. So take it for what it's worth. But I don't think it's a good thing. Like I'm sad when churches close. Um, no offense to it. We need more childcare and we need more community space, but I, I think sacred space matters. Um, so when I see a church that's a turned into a home or, condos or childcare, like those are all 
fine uses, but I'm sad because to me that's a sacred space that's been lost, um, and and I'm I'm grieved by that. Why do you think that sacred spaces matter? Because I think we live in an age where um, people will say, well, church buildings don't really matter as much, um, or the churches, or or they'll say the church is not a building, which is true. Um, right. But I don't know about you, but as someone, I've always had some interest in architecture. Spaces seem to matter in some ways. Why yeah. do you think that uh, that a, a sacred space, a, a a church, and I mean, we could even go beyond Christian, you know, to synagogues or or mosques. Mm-hmm. Why do these places matter? Physical places matter. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting, right? Because we would we would both agree that we would say the church is not a building, and certainly we use that line during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. But also, like you alluded to earlier, like clearly. People not going to a physical space for a year or more had an impact. And also, gathering, quote-unquote gathering online, I think we would all agree, does not offer the same kind of benefits that gathering in a physical place does together. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this, for me, really crystallized again, reading Andrew Root, and I can't remember which book it was actually, where he talks about resonance, uh, about church buildings having a resonance. And again, I, I really kind of felt that <clears throat> when this summer, when I went to, um, during the Disciples General Assembly, when I went with some friends to the Stone... Go to Cane Ridge. Cane Ridge, thank you. Cane Ridge Meeting House. Um, and I was just astounded thinking about, boy, you know, if these stone, if these stones and if these logs more specifically, you know, if these logs could, could speak, you know, they're, they're just holding so much. It sounds trite to say holiness, but I, I really think there's something like, this is like, this is a sacred space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can continue on this rant for a moment. Um, Go right ahead. My family, both my Parents, my in-laws are both still conservative Baptists, and my in-laws have gone to the Ark Experience in Kentucky. And my parents talked about going there, and they said, first of all, it's like, can we pick something else? <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, I said, you know, I want to go to a real holy site, like not some tourist trap. Oh, like, yeah. And I say this as res- obviously as respectfully as I can be, to people, um, because like I said, my families are both conservative Baptists, and I don't want to get into that game of insulting other people's religion. But to me, at least, like I want to be at a sacred, holy site. And I know that sounds a little bit Catholic, um, but that's kind of how I think of it. Like let's let's be at a site where something real has happened, and not just a replication of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, like, to me, like when we think again about our modern society, when we think about how, like Andrew Root says, how easy it is to live as if God does not exist. 
it's essential to me all the more to enter into what Celtic Christianity would call thin places where we know that people have experienced God. And churches, church buildings are one of those places where people have repeatedly experienced God. And that's why I'm really passionate about this. Like now more than ever, we need to hold on to churches, church buildings. And why do you think that, I, that go ahead, go right ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you got me on a rant. So I just want to keep mm-hmm. going with this. <laughs> and I was thinking about Dennis, about this conversation. I was thinking about disciples of Christ church building in Pasadena um, that I'd heard had been recently sold like a year ago. And I'd been in that building and it was a church that had closed, decided to end their public ministry and a new church had attempted to, to relaunch a new disciples church had attempted to relaunch and it hadn't, hadn't made it. And, and, and in fairness, I don't know what be, what's become the building, perhaps a new, another denominational church is using that space. And I can only hope that's the case, but I was, I'd been in that sanctuary and it was, it was an amazing, beautiful, profound space. And even just thinking about it right now, like it bums me out. It was just so beautiful and so incredible. Um, and I think those spaces are so important. Hmm. What do you think is going on in our culture that we don't see or or have so little interest in sac- in in sacred space? And you know, you talked about um in in some evangelical circles how the the church doesn't look like a church. Um, right, and so it kind of it it feels more like a kind of a performance venue than something. Right, and that's not saying that um, mainlines have it any better. Um, either we're kind right. of in these spaces, but not really paying attention to them, um, or mm-hmm. we are kind of don't seem to want to treasure them. Um, and think, well, they can become another yeah, I mean, there's, another brew pub or something to that extent. Why is it that we don't seem to treasure physical yeah. space in that in that in that way? Well, I mean, do you want like my hot take answer? I mean, oh, my I'll hot take, whatever take answer, answer is like. I think my hot take answer is this idea: that, like, too many mainliners don't think church matters. And mm-hmm. that's my strong opinions about that. Um, but I think more practically speaking, I think it's just this, again, to lean on Andrew Root and Charles Taylor, this idea that we're living in a, this worldly imminent frame, um, that we've kind of been conditioned to, to not think that there is anything more. And a space is just a space, you know, and if it's, if it's not functioning well, if it's unaffordable, um, and this is not to say that, you know, 
budgets and don't matter. I understand at some point, as you're well aware of, obviously, from your situation, sometimes spaces become unaffordable and there's no other option to, to get rid of it. Um, <clears throat> but my kind of, um, my kind of thing is, is like, I think, let me say it this way. I guess what I'd say, I think when we think about where society is trending, especially in regards to church, like we're going to need to hold on to these sacred spaces if only to be a bastion of spirituality where people can go to these places to experience God. And I think in reality, if we think about maintaining a facility, there may or may not be active congregational worship. Like, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I can I can imagine a future where almost like in Europe, right? And my wife and I hope to travel to Europe in the near future. And I told her, like, I want to go to Notre Dame and I want to go to these holy sites. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine a future in in America where you know, like, there's a there's a church down the street that's a beautiful church building, and they may or may not have Sunday morning worship consistently. But I think it's important that a denomination or a congregation, if they can, hold on to these sacred spaces. Hmm. I actually um, have been blessed to to have traveled to to Europe um, a few times, and one of the places I went with my husband. Um, like about 15 years ago, was a place in Paris called Saint-Chapelle, which is near mm. Notre Dame. So okay. when you do go to your trip on to trip to Paris, which you will go, um, go there. And he, we, you know, we went up, and it's this kind of, I guess it was a, a chapel that was used maybe by one of the kings, I guess, you know. Mm. And he kind of tells me, you know, prepare to be inspired. And I was kind of like, okay. And so you're kind of going up the stairs. And then you kind of go into this place and it's these um, stained glass windows that have probably now been mm-hmm. up for six or 700 years. And wow. there was truly an awe-inspiring experience. And it's funny, during mm-hmm. the, the experience, we you know were walking around and people were kind of chatting and everything. And it was interesting because the people, the kind of docents or people who are there are kind of telling people to quiet by themselves. Mm. And I think because they realized what this place was. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it, most people would say in Europe, a lot of places, people don't regularly go to church. Right. But at least there, they, I, I have no idea the people there who were part of that went to church or not, but they made, they knew what this place was. Yeah. And, um, that it was, a sacred space, a holy space of right. some type. And so it wasn't just a chance for you and the tourists to just kind of chatter right. like you normally do, but to also right. be reverent in this time period. Right. And so I kind of agree with that we don't have that, maybe in our culture, appreciation for the sacred. 
Mm-hmm. But I also wonder if we don't have an appreciation for the physical as much as we used to. Yeah. I mean, it gets to this bigger question, Dennis, that I'm really have heard inklings of in other conversations. This idea of a re-enchanting mm-hmm. of the world. You know, people thinking about you know, is this just physical, concrete world in front of us? Is this all there is? Or is there more? And, you know, I've heard this in different spaces. Like, I've been listening to a a Christianity Today podcast on horror movies, of all things. Oh, I've heard about that one. Yeah, and it's very interesting. I need to catch up on it. I'm a few episodes behind. Um, But, the host makes a point like, you know, for the vast, you know, for before the last hundred years, around 50 years, the world, the people of the world assumed this to be a, an enchanted world or a world of, of spirits and, and demons or, you know, mm-hmm. of, of more than just what we touch and, and feel and taste through our five senses. Um, And I think if we think about a purely physical world um, where it's just about dollars and cents and practical things like buildings don't really matter because we can, we can worship in a schoolhouse. Like, yes, we can. I've done it. (laughs) Um, But I'll speak from experience. Like it's a lot harder to to sense sacred. (laughs) in a school gymnasium than I, than I think it is into an old, um, sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So what do you think that can be kind of, what do you think in some ways is our kind of guiding theology in some ways in, in these days where we don't put as much, emphasis on the sacred and in some ways that's not a just a a mainline problem i think that's a problem in evangelical circles as well um where we just don't seem to sense that god exists or god is present in in these spaces that it's just kind of a space Yeah, I think I think it's a lot of what you said. There is this loss of an awareness of the sacred. Um, you know, I was thinking about again. I'm reading this book by Ted Smith, and he talks about the telos or the end of theological education, and he kind of um, he kind of plays around with some eschatology, at least as I interpreted it. Um, and I was reflecting on in the, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, right? There was this movement very much so of liberal theology, this idea that, you know, back then they could kind of usher in the millennium. They could usher in the kingdom of God. Um, and I think 
I think in some ways we're seeing that reinvented in progressive Christianity today, this idea like it's on us to bring it out, the justice of God in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there has to be some kind of, some kind of reconciling, I'll use that word again, of this awareness that it's, you know, God has a part to play in this. Um, obviously, the inverse of that is like we see in the Left Behind theology where we don't need to do anything because God's going to show up and and fix everything. And I don't think that's, frankly, a biblical approach either. Um, but I think this idea that we have a part to play, but also like we need to wait and trust God to move and act is, is a hard one to swallow because it's so antithetical, antithetical to the modern the modern context we're in where you know it's on us we need to do it and that's not just in progressive theology i think it's in you know the world at large where we're the source of our own enlightenment and future and and um you know we're really the source of our own salvation if we really take it to its fullest extent right Hmm. So, one of the questions or things that I would would I'm kind of curious of is, I know you're probably not the first person that has an interest in in church buildings and what what was this building like? What did it right. do? Um, and I'm reminded by a um, an article I read by um, another disciple pastor, Catherine Willis Percy. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and she talks about the church that she served serves um, in suburban Chicago, so mm-hmm. UCC congregation. And she shares an interesting story of when that church was built. Um, and she talks about the fact that it was built into kind of uh, an architect from the Prairie School, um, which is from Frank Lloyd Wright and all of that. Um, but it wasn't Frank Lloyd Wright; it was but one of his kind of acolytes. Um, but he, they talk about an interesting thing in the history of that building. And the building was built right at, at kind of the beginning of the Great Depression. Um, they went through a, a period in the mid-30s where they had to slash budgets and remove the telephone that they had used, had, had in the building, um, slash the pastor's salary. Mm-hmm. But they decided to keep two things that they didn't cut. Um, and the first was mission. And the second was education. It was important for mm. them to be involved outside of the walls of the church, but within the walls of the church, they wanted to disciple their young to grow in the faith. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is that buildings in some ways have histories. Um, even if right. those histories aren't, you know, there, there are the, the histories are people, but those, those histories happened in a place. Um, right. And I guess my, my question to you is how would you encourage people to kind of 
maybe learn more about their sacred spaces and to learn more about those histories. Yeah, I mean, uh, talk to, you know, talk to the older members of the church, um, see what, see what stories you can find even in doing an internet search. Um, like I'm thinking of a, an American Baptist church that's a historically black congregation who I knew the pastor of in Denver. Mm-hmm. And a really fascinating story of of this church w- building was a white congregation, and when uh, I forget the, the the exact thing that happened, but basically the neighborhood uh, was open to African Americans. Mm-hmm. So again, in the sixties, you can imagine sort of how that dynamic was. There was a lot of white flight, and the the white congregation sold the building to an African American congregation. Um, and there's a story about that in the in the archives of the Denver Post. I think is where I found it. Um, but that's I mean that's really incredible history that has so much powerful story behind it. Whether it be you know um, white kind of white flight and white racism or or um, but also I think what's really interesting too about that story, Dennis, is that the white church moved to the suburbs or further out the edges of Denver at that time. That church no longer exists. The church closed. The building has been sold. It's going to become, wait for it, apartments, right? The property. The African-American Baptist church still exists. Hmm. Um, which I think is a powerful story on its own right. Hmm. So there's some powerful powerful stories to be found, you know, and boy, speaking of a sacred space, like Holy cow being in that space, even when I was there during the week, Mm -hmm. you know, you walk in and smacks you in the face really does. Hmm. So if people want to kind of follow what you did over the summer and um, also just to follow you in general, I will definitely put in links for, for your podcast, um, which people should be listening to, which is Future Christian. But um, where should they go? Thanks, Dennis. I was just going to ask where, where should they go to see some of the, the things that you did on Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on Facebook. Just find me. Um, you type in Lauren Richmond Jr. You'll find me after my actual handle is. Um, and I should say if you're a publisher, I want, I want to make a, I want to make a pitch this year for like a coffee table book of churches mm. where it, I think, I thought about like my idea being to work with a photographer and an architect where you'd have some beautiful pictures of churches and then you'd have an architect tell, you know, talk through what the architecture is communicating 
And then you could also give a history of the, an actual history of the people or the, the congregation that originally formed. Um, cause to me, again, it wouldn't be enough just to have, I wouldn't want just a, a textual, not that that's not important, but I think visually communicating the story would be important. Oh yeah. I would think so. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for this. I think that this is kind of an important um, conversation to talk about, um, I think, the importance of place. Because I think sometimes in our our current world, we think place doesn't matter. And I think it yeah. matters a lot more than we, we think it does. Yeah. I think so, anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Lauren, and definitely we'll um, hope to see you back on the podcast soon. Thanks, and I want that gold jacket. Okay. <laughs> I will. I will try to make make arrangements to get it to you. Yeah, um, we'll try to <laughs> see if we can FedEx it to Denver. So, <laughs> all right, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I really enjoyed the interview with Lauren. Um, if there seemed to be a lot of pauses in there, th there were some technical issues. So my apologies for that. But I do hope that you still got a lot out of the interview. There are going to be links of interest, especially links to the um, his uh, future Christian podcast. Uh, he wrote an interesting article that I want to um, share um, about buildings. And I will also uh, share another one um, uh, by um, Catherine willis Percy, another uh, Disciples of Christ pastor, that kind of also references kind of the the spirituality and, and the physicality of churches. Um, if you have not um, listened to the Future Christian Podcast, definitely give it a listen. It is a great um compliment to this podcast. Um, he has some great people on there. I, I will be honest. He actually gives me some ideas of people who I should have on my podcast. So, um, there you go. It's, it's a, it's definitely a podcast you should listen to. I also do want to remind you, I, I shared this probably a few uh, episodes ago, um, that I do another podcast called lectionary Q. It's a weekly podcast that focuses on the text from the revised common lectionary. Um, with a reflection and then some questions. Uh, this is something I started in the fall of, of 2022, and then I kind of stopped. Um, just partially things got too busy. I'm, I'm trying to start it up again and get on a more regular schedule. Uh, you can find the podcast and subscribe by going to lectionaryq.substack.com. So that's it for this episode of Church in Maine, the first of 2024. Uh, remember to rate and review this uh, episode on your favorite podcast app, especially on Apple Podcasts, so that others can find the podcast and consider donating so that we can continue to produce more episodes. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. 
Thank you again for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and I'll see you very soon.